0: Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Tonight's show is Who Gets to Tell Our Story? Charles Burnett and the Responsibility of the Artist. Our music is from John Handy's Recorded Live at the Monterey Jazz Festival, released in 1966, and we'll use it somewhat willy-nilly throughout. Its relevance will become plain. We need to get right to it tonight as we've packed this show to the brim. Last September, Jim Naramore and I discussed several films by Charles Burnett on Interchange. Jim had just published his book, Charles Burnett, A Cinema of Symbolic Knowledge, and Burnett had been awarded an Honorary Oscar, or a Governor's Award, by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Because so much that Burnett has made is so good, and so unseen, we present a part two. Here's Jim Naramore
1: on the importance of Burnett's films. Burnett has never had the opportunity to play with the kind of fancy toys that A-list directors get to play with, the technical things. Uh, and uh, he, to, to his credit, he's never done commercials. I think what makes him uh, an important director is uh, he's, he's both an artist and a, somebody with, a, with a, something to say. But he grew up in Watts, so what we see in Killer of Sheep uh, and, and My Brother's Wedding, the next film, uh, uh, and those are autobiographical in the sense that that's the neighborhood he grew up in, that he, that he knew. And something that had never been really represented in film before. There are areas of Los Angeles, although it's the town of the movies, and they and Los Angeles, as Tom Anderson says, plays itself in an awful lot of movies. Uh, There's are certain areas of Los Angeles you never see, right. and and uh, the Watts area uh, is one, and and uh, that's that's one of Burnett's great achievements. The
0: anti-Hollywood ethos of Charles Burnett might be an alternative title for the show. Michael Martin, editor-in-chief of Black Camera, an international film journal and professor in the media school at Indiana University, deepens Burnett's value as an artist who shows the banality of oppression. Black people uh, live
2: in a state of internal colonization, that the black community evidence Today, in the Black Lives Matter, uh, the nature of policy, race-related policy, questions around immigration and so forth, who see people of color as uh, to to be like Native Americans, kept on a reservation, a reservation that is the inner city. Uh, reservation where discrimination around questions of residential housing, uh, education, the whole gamut, um, uh, reinforce uh, the, the reality, the actuality of the black condition. And Charles Burnett does that without putting it in your face. And he really invites us, the viewer, to not take a position, but to say, this is what it is. You want to do anything about it? He doesn't tell us how to do anything about it. He just says, my job is to show that in the banality of oppression, the everyday um, reality of that oppression, um, a toll, a profoundly tragic toll is demanded of, of black people.
0: Tonight, we'll also be joined by Jacqueline Stewart, author of Migrating to the Movies, Cinema and Black Urban Modernity, and professor in the Department of Cinema and Media Studies at the University of Chicago. And Jonathan Rosenbaum, longtime film critic for the Chicago Reader, now retired, and author of 13 books, most recently Goodbye Cinema, Hello Cinephilia Film Culture in Transition. We'll close the hour in conversation with Charles Burnett himself. And as we close, so shall we begin. Here's a clip from his honorary Oscar speech from November 11, 2017. His concern is the responsibility of the artist to represent his community.
3: When I went to UCLA, it didn't have very very many people of color there. Um, but UCLA was a special place because it, 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 it made you create, you know, it gave you a camera and said, like, go out and make a film and don't come back with something we've seen, you know. Uh, and so it had this built-in kind of um, um, philosophy that you had to do something d- different. They didn't want to see anything that, that they'd seen before because they had, they had a, a, this end of the quarter screening, which they crucified you. If they seen anything that, <laughs> anything actually that looked like Hollywood, it made it, you know? <laughs> so it was sort of an anti-Hollywood feel at the time, but it's since changed, you know? It's, it's gotten to be more so. But I think the, 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 the thing is that I, I had some really wonderful teachers and One particular one, um, Basil Wright, who was a documentary filmmaker, he did Song of Salon. Uh, I remember having difficulty when I first went to UCLA in terms of not knowing what to do because when I was there, they had the end of the quarter screenings, which were the best films that they made at UCLA. And they were, but they were all about flower children. You know, people who made films at Topanga Canyon, you know, and were explaining or exploring their own sexuality and stuff like that. But where I came from, that wasn't an issue, you know? It was, it was about getting a job and keeping a job, you know? And uh, so those are the kind of films I wanted to do. And it was Basil Wright who sort of pointed me in that direction. And the other thing that would made it uh, uh, worthwhile and and, and give me some guidance was the fact that there were people of color who came and we had these meetings every night, you know, and we, we, uh, we lived at UCLA, we went down to... Down to Westwood and, and spent all night in the restaurants, you know, until they kicked us out. And we talked about what is a black film continuously. You know, what is our responsibility? What do we have to do? And out of that came people like Julie Dash, Heidi Graiman, and a whole bunch of other people who are well known at the moment. And but we also were, were a part of the civil rights movement. You know, I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and and our obligation was to. Uh, tell our stories because Hollywood, and I don't mean any disrespect, but they had been distorted in our image since the birth of a nation, you know? So we, it was incumbent upon us to tell our our story, our narrative in our own way. And so my my interest in film and, and my ideas came from that period and when working with a, a, a bunch of students, like myself, who are interested in making a difference and, and using film as a, as a means for social change.
0: This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is Who Gets to Tell Our Story? Charles Burnett and the Responsibility of the Artist. We just heard a clip from Charles Burnett's honorary Oscar acceptance speech. I asked film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum about the Governor's Award.
4: Well, I was really happy about it. Uh, It was long overdue uh, recognition. I mean, I've often felt that, you know, you could divide the history of cinema between uh, the people we've heard about, which are usually the people who are skillful hustlers, (laughs) and then the really skillful people who are not hustlers, who we probably haven't heard about. Mm And Charles is one of those. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, I don't know how well he knows how to, he probably doesn't know how to hustle, but he sure knows how to make movies. (laughs) And that's the same thing. And we often confuse the two things Mm -hmm. because all we know about is what we hear. And what we hear usually has tons of money and studio muscle behind it and advertising power. And you know, and Charles doesn't usually get those things, but that doesn't mean he isn't one of our most, one of America's, you know, leading filmmakers
0: now let's get into some of the work this is michael martin discussing burnett's 1972 short film the horse like killer of sheep this came out of the film program at ucla of this film burnett has said he was influenced by william faulkner quote he wrote a story called the bear and i wanted to make a movie of it it's a kind of metaphor something he was very gifted at and i wanted to do something on his personal south Where everything is said and explained in a symbolic way. Unquote.
2: Let me talk a little bit, if I can, about The Horse, a understudied, seemingly ignored uh, film that even the scholarly community has not paid sufficient attention to, precisely because it falls, at least visually outside, and in terms of its setting, outside of this landscape of urban, gritty um, environment in which black people endure. Uh, The horse is, I think, very much a part of that landscape, not in its physical attributes, because it takes place in a bucolic environment takes place in a pastoral environment, but it evokes the same central concerns that inform Burnett's other works. And I should say that uh, Charles uh, describes this film as an allegory of the South. It's the story on its face of a young black boy who witnesses the execution of a horse that has passed its utility to its owners. There is an affection between the boy and the horse in such a way that foregrounds, I think, the distinction between human beings of different racial backgrounds. Four white men arrive at this broken down house. In the background there's an image of the horse, the young boy who is almost lovingly touching him. And behind him a white man who observes this interaction. And this is in a landscape landscape of rolling hills.
1: William! I ain't got all no shin day! West? Lee? How long you gonna stay out here? You getting wind the hell out here to see a damn old horse get put away? Where'd that boy come from?
5: That's raised boy. to wait for some damn any one of us could do it
6: Will is getting sick and tired of listening to your voice
4: you don't have to tell him nothing
2: background arrives this car, this broken down pickup. A man comes out black, who happens to be the boy's father. One of the men unwraps a a newspaper uh, and we find a gun. Interestingly, and I think critical, is that the gun is without bullets. The man the white man gives Ray, the boy's father, a bullet with which to execute the horse. I found that revealing of a power relationship that exists between white and black, wherein labor is what mediates between races in the South. And in that sense, it is an allegory of the South at that time, where there is a divide. Um, And that divide is crossed only in relationship to work, to the utility of labor on behalf of, in this case, white interests. And that there is no social interaction between the races. So it's Jim Crow, in the iteration of Jim Crow, where legally Jim Crow has been abolished. It also signals to me that um, this form of labor has a similarity with the horse. The horse performs work, and when no longer it can, it becomes disposable. So the idea of a life laboring as a disposable commodity is rendered powerfully in this scene where the black body is as much a commodity for labor as the horse is. And that too, when that black body no longer performs its service, it too becomes disposable. It also signaled this idea, apart from the grief the young boy experiences witnessing that execution, um, it also signals that unless things change in that economic and political relationship or divide, that the boy, too, will inherit and reproduce uh, the role that his father does. And it is perhaps here that um, the power relationship is intergenerational and is defined by blacks utility to whites. I think that the ending of the horse in which the boy's father uh, becomes the executioner of the horse that not only does the boy inherit that, but almost poetically, points to the boy becoming Stan in Killer Feet.
0: It's time for a break. We'll hear more from John Handy's 1966 album recorded live at the Monterey Jazz Festival. Next up is Jacqueline Stewart on the reflective, quiet, and patient films of Charles Burnett. Stay with us. Welcome back, this is Doug Storm on Interchange. Tonight we're talking about the social responsibility of the artist with several film scholars and filmmaker Charles Burnett. In this segment, the films under discussion will be Killer of Sheep, The Glass Shield, and When It Rains. First up, Jacqueline Stewart on Burnett's acclaimed masterpiece, Killer of Sheep. It was his Master of Fine Arts thesis at the UCLA School of Film.
7: Charles Burnett is um one of the most important American filmmakers ever and uh it gets to be somewhat frustrating that over and over again people characterize him as a filmmaker we don't know about like the best filmmaker you've never heard of that kind of characterization um I mean I suppose that's true in many ways but it also has the effect of further marginalizing him and uh The fact of the matter is that among folks who really do know the history of American cinema and who value um, aesthetically ambitious cinema, thoughtful cinema, um, have long appreciated Charles Burnett. He's had a major following uh, among European film audiences and film critics for a long time. And uh, I think one of the things that i value the most about Burnett, I suppose is one of the reasons why people continue to sort of, um, characterize him as, as enigmatic or, um, unknown. And that's because his filmmaking is so quiet. I mean, it's a, it's a deeply reflective cinema. It's a cinema that focuses on characterization, um, that really gives characters the time and space that they need to, um, demonstrate their humanity. And sadly, that is rarely the way in which black characters are treated in film. They're the objects of and agents of certain kinds of action oriented work, as opposed to work that really meditates on black subjectivities and black history, black family dynamics, um, and the kinds of things that help us to understand, um, how it is that the forces that have been so detrimental to black life um, really impact people. So I think we see that across Charles Burnett's work It is an obvious dimension of his um, classic film Killer of Sheep um, that traces the life of a family in South Central Los Angeles as they go about their day to day lives um, And importantly, what we see kind of interspersed across that film is the representation of children playing in what looks like incredibly like physically dangerous situations, jumping across rooftops and um, uh, laying across railroad tracks and those kinds of things.
1: Hey, y'all,
6: Come on. You go. Hey,
7: let's go. And Charles talks a lot about having engaged in that kind of child's play when he was a kid growing up um, in South Central LA, that he would just spend hours and hours out in the streets um, with his friends. Um, you know, adventuring in that environment.
1: What is America to me? A name, a map for the flag I see. A certain democracy. What is America
6: to me? The house I live in a plot of the street. The grocer and the butcher and the people that I meet The
7: children in the playground, the faces that I see, all races. And so that kind, you know, representing that kind of duration, it's not just a commentary on the lack of adequate, safe recreational opportunities for Black children, Black urban children. Although it's certainly doing that, but it's also just giving us a sense of how these kids spend their time, like how they uh, socialize, how they come to understand their relationships to each other through play. And we don't get a lot of dialogue among the children. Um, there's there's no overt sort of like um uh speaking of their consciousness their political consciousness or anything like that instead it's just so quietly observational and in this way charles burnett gives attention to uh, black children black families in ways that they have have never received uh, before and so that's tremendously valuable that he invites his audiences to sit with black characters and to um, experience their lives as closely as possible to the ways that they, that those subjects themselves live their lives.
0: This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is Who Gets to Tell Our Story? Charles Burnett and the Responsibility of the Artist. Now, Jacqueline Stewart takes us from the work of an outsider and beginner, to that of a master trying to work within the Hollywood system on his film, The Glass Shield. This film contains some of the best lines ever put into the mouths of corrupt police officers.
7: So one of the films that I think has vexed (laughs) Film critics for a long time is his film The Glass Shield, which is about the racism within um, law enforcement and the difficulties of uh, a law enforcement officer who experiences a tremendous amount of discrimination uh, among his colleagues. And this is a film that sort of jutted up against the spate of kind of boys in the hood type films that were emerging in the early 1990s. And it became very difficult for folks to understand, to market this film, because it didn't clearly fit the template of that kind of coming of age tale of black youth in um, an urban environment. Ice Cube appears in that film. He had made his first film appearance in Boys in the Hood. And so his status as a rapper and as an actor who was associated with this kind of emerging hip hop cinema was one of the ways in which uh, the producers of the film were trying to insert something kind of familiar to mainstream audiences in the glass shield. Uh, but he plays a small role.
6: How long you had the gun? I don't know. Took it a long time ago. Your girlfriend's father, Mr. Taylor, says the last time he looked at it was three months ago. Whatever. What have you been doing with it? did nothing with it. I use it for protection only. What if I
4: told you it was used in a murder? Man, you crazy. What were you doing September 7th? Let me refresh your memory. You tried to rob a man named Greenspan, and you ended up killing his wife. You're going to need a lawyer.
6: You look at attempted robbery, attempted murder, and murder. Teddy, nobody wants to drag it all out to trial.
4: What we'll do is get you only second-degree murder. I didn't kill nobody. I didn't rob nobody. I never even used a gun. All the state
6: wants is to close the books. The state doesn't care if you get seven years or life. Think about it. Like the song says, my skin
4: is my sin.
7: As Charles does in his other work, The Glass Shield attempts to give us a fuller sense of the characters um, and not so much, you know, the kind of action sequences and the the emotional melodrama that you get in the typical film that was coming out during that period. So um, he had major conflicts around putting through his cut of that film. Lori Petty uh, appears in that film, and I gather that uh, there was a lot of wrangling back and forth about how many of her scenes should appear in the film, in the, in the finished product, and the producers wanted much of her presence to be cut.
3: So, Mr. Johnson, you still want to be a
6: peace officer?
7: Well, where else can I make this kind of money, hmm?
6: You could sell junk bonds.
4: I thought this was supposed to be a man's job.
6: Well, Trooper, you better turn your shield in I then. Ch- or am I talking to the future sheriff and he's your parts?
4: Yeah, they're gonna name this station after me. <laughs> <one. laughs> <That's hard. laughs> oh, what? <laughs> you can't be married.
7: Look who is calling the pot black. Which had a detrimental impact on conveying the narrative.
4: You know, you better lay off the steak and donuts, honey.
7: Charles talks a lot about the ways in which um, various producers that he's worked with, especially when he's done work for television, how they have made it really difficult for him to really helm a project and that they voice all kinds of authorial interventions in ways that take away from the kind of messages that he's trying to come to, to put across. And that make it really difficult to, to feel a full sense of authorship over his work.
0: I think it's interesting that they were trying to do away with Lori Petty more than than she's in it. She she draws attention to uh, misogyny in the film that the main character played by Michael Bo- Boatman also you know, displays as a male police officer also. So she she displays another form of discrimination in the film.
7: That's right, yeah. And maybe uh, the decision was that you couldn't really do that kind of layered analysis, right? Or that kind of intersectional analysis, like you're either talking about, if you're talking about racism, then you can't also talk about sexism. When, of course, they work in relationship to each other in conjunction with each other. Um, And that's one of the most powerful things about the film is showing that a white woman can also have uh, experiences with this kind of patriarchal structure and that it makes them kind of uneasy allies.
0: The Glass Shield was released in 1994 with a movie poster and DVD case highlighting Ice Cube, who is almost non-existent in the film. This is Interchange on WFHB. Our show tonight is about the responsibility of the artist, with Charles Burnett as our topic. We'll do a 180 now as we examine a beautiful short film called When It Rains, a kind of jazz parable released in 1995. Our guide is film critic and author Jonathan (laughs) Rosenbaum.
4: The one that I'd like to cite, which is my own favorite, is the short film When It Rains, which is on my all-time 10 favorite films uh, list, actually.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about that film, then. It's uh, one I assume most people will not have heard of.
4: Right, although they can find it on the um, the two-disc DVD set of Milestone g- devoted to Killer of Sheep. This is a film that uh, Charles made for French television, actually, after he did work on a, uh, a miniseries that was a kind of a nightmare for him because of all the producers interference, called The Wedding. Uh, this, He suddenly was given carte blanche by French TV. They said, do whatever you want, here's some money, you know, basically. And he went out and shot this 12-minute movie, which is just so wonderful. It's it's really a kind of a parable I mean, you could call it a blues parable. It's it's narrated by a guy who's got a really interesting kind of uh, narrating voice. Who's a what they call a uh, other kind of African guru who's a teacher and and a, and, a, and a, a storyteller.
6: A new year, trouble already. I'm sort of a griot, if you can be sort of anything. Brothers and sisters know how to add apples and oranges and come out with two dead flies and make it on that. We survived colonization, the slave trade, the worst of times, and we will continue to survive.
7: You sit here and wait for me until I come back with Babu. And
6: don't you move. We live with contradictions. The brother asked, since I play, how do you make blues and jazz and mix it together? I said, do you know your roots? He knew nothing about the language, the drums, or Mali, Burkina Faso, Ghana, the middle the slave narratives, and the expression the overseers used to use, make noise. That's where I think the blues came from, make noise. force the same when you're in pain. I'm going to show you how blues and jazz, become come together. Like the world, part is in darkness, the other half faces the sunlight. My mother and her mother never uttered a mumbling word about their rough hands suited for men and rheumatism. They swallowed their pain dry long so as if swallowing dry bread to dislodge a fishbone caught in your throat. My uncle never said a mumbling word when muddy waters ran over the levee and carried his two milk cows off down the river with the topsoil and all the cotton seed.
4: It's right after the holidays on Christmas where they're throwing, you know, families and wops are throwing away Christmas trees and stuff. And there's a family that's going to be evicted if they can't come up with a rent. And so he goes around trying to find ways of, you know, like forestalling, the, you know, like them being evicted. And it's each person he goes to see is like a separate chorus in a jazz solo. It's very much got, the, you know, jazz in it, and it's about jazz, and also the spirit of the blues. So he goes to see various people, and uh, and as I say, each one is like a blues chorus. It's, uh, and it's quite comic, some of it. I mean, and all sorts of reactions. I mean, you know, there's a, the woman who's being evicted, her, her former husband, who's kind of seems like kind of crazy and can you know, and, and is really unresponsive. Somebody who offers to help by sending out a um, a gangster to kill the landlord. You know, it's like, and in the meantime, she, you know, it's like um, we. There's a kind of a uh, lot of musicians playing outdoors, and so we hear this wonderful, uh, you know, drum solo by. I think all the trungy, in fact, and you see wonderful dancing by some women and everything to the music. And eventually it gets resolved by, uh, you know, somebody who's this crazy guy with a crazy-looking trumpet on the street, uh, doesn't have any money, but in fact gives him an album that
6: he happens to be holding, you know, like an old LP record album. Oh, man, I can't believe this. My main man, my Ace Boone Coon. I've been looking for him all day. Brother Juno. Brother Juno. Hey. Man, what's up? How man? you doing, brother? My horn. I got a gig tomorrow. I'm not finished, man. Let me have a couple I, I, of dollars. I got the sisters in trouble. Just a couple of dollars, brother. Oh, um, man, I don't have any money. I don't have any bread at all. Well, look here. Why don't you take this album? I told you Nothing to the Check the album out, man. Check it out. What are you doing, brother? Listen, I know, I know. Tried, I know and, but i, I, I need the rent, to get the I, rent I, I need the rent. I couldn't raise the money. But these sisters so, still hey, hey, need it. Hey, wait wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait see that. Oh, John Henry? Yeah. You're you're that. Hip yeah. John I'm, I'm, i to John Handy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Brother, these yeah. Sisters, these yeah. young I, sisters, these I didn't know the brother was looking for this album by John Handy. If I had looked for common ground to begin with, this nightmare would have never happened. Do I need to say more? Except, damn, I'm glad I didn't have a rap album in my hand. <laughs>
4: Ends up getting resolved as kind of barter instead of, you know, like capitalism. And uh, all of this, as I say, is handled both comically and musically in 12 minutes. And over the 12 minutes, you get the most wonderful view of a whole community Mm. and a community that actually finds a way of of sort of like uh, benignly dealing with its, you know, uh, its problems. It also struck me that the actual album is significant because the album is a John Handy Mm -hmm. album from the 60s. And John Handy strikes strikes me as the perfect example of a musical thing that joined together both the counterculture and the black community. So in a certain sense, what this is a parable about is about 60s counterculture in some ways, as well as uh, the black community. So it's, an, it's very, it, it floats by very effortlessly and pleasurably. It doesn't seem at all overloaded, but you know, there's a whole world packed into the 12 minutes of this film. So that's why I love it so much.
0: It's time for a break and more jazz from John Handy, live at Monterey. When we return, we'll hear from Charles Burnett himself on what it means to make films in your own voice and from within your own community. Stay with us. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our final segment tonight is a conversation I had with Charles Burnett about making honest stories that aren't Hollywood tall tales. Uh, been serving a particular class in a particular kind of movie for a long time and part of your own, um, I guess, instructional formation, you know, coming out of UCLA and, and being in a, uh, a program that, that favored art, favored, you know, learning to make film versus uh, learning to operate within the Hollywood system, um, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, prepare you for what's available to you in this culture, you know, other than uh, doing the best you can with what you what you have done, um, the, the the channels to make movies and have them be seen are so narrow that you know I, you're you, you're very limited in what you can do.
5: Oh yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the the, uh, the, uh, 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 the, 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 the crippling things about this business is that when you do get a chance to make films, um, you know, you have this. This this um, tension that that, that uh, uh, a feeling that you have to put everything in the movie because you won't be able to do it again. Mm. This is a one time only kind of situation. Each time you have to get over that. You know, mm-hmm. it has been one of the. It's not like um, <clears throat> um, challenging the material itself, but it's like, do, do I use this for you know? To see everything, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and 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 it took a long time to get over that. You know, if you don't make another film, that's fine, but but make this the best you can, and and hmm.
0: don't, don't
5: worry about the next one. Just concentrate on
0: on that. Uh, you you do have a, I would say, even I mean, I would guess, and I don't want to put this into your your mouth, but uh, you know, having come out of. Um, you know, having read a few of your interviews and understanding the kind of period that you were you grew up in and the kind of movie you made with uh, Killer of Sheep and trying to understand what you were reading at the time outside of Faulkner, but also uh, things like Frantz Fanon or trying to understand what it means to, to live in a third world country within the first world country uh, and trying to, as you say in several interviews, uh, be responsible for that. You know, be able to speak responsibly to it and try to educate and instruct in a particular way. Uh, it's a pretty clear aspect of many of your films that they are, in some ways at least, a pedagogical exercise. You know, how can we, how can we teach this a different way? You know, how can we tell this story in a way that it allows you to hear things from characters you won't hear usually, so they can say things that they may not have been able to say in the past because they are represented a particular way and don't get to speak these kinds of words. Um, so clearly throughout your, your career, in any any movie that you, you, you work on, you're trying to find ways in which you can instruct a different worldview. Yeah, and
5: I think that comes from... Having sort of came up during the Civil Rights Movement,
0: Mm -hmm.
5: and the other one is um, there was this need clearly uh, to, uh, particularly being in this area here where Hollywood is right next door, you know, and it dominates the narratives of everybody. Mm -hmm. We, um, uh, when part of the, when students, people of color, came to UCLA, it was automatically. Uh, this this to concern about what is our what is our story you know, and who should tell it you know and how should we tell it it was this constant debate and discussion on and on and on you know um and then you had what sort of- surprisingly um aided in this conversation was the rejection of the black exploit black exploitation film mm-hmm. and uh we knew we we didn't want to go in that direction we knew we didn't want to go into the sort of Birth of a Nation, Hollywood kind of uh, film. And uh, so we were stuck trying to come up with something that uh, uh, was not authentic voice, but mm-hmm. was something that people could look at and say, you know, this is our experience, and, and if you live in a community, this is what you would see. And mm-hmm. that's What I wanted to do with Killer Sheep, I didn't want to impose my values On it, you know, um, and and saying this represents all of the black community. No, I just wanted to say this is a couple of some friends of mine. This is how I grew up Mm -hmm. and what I wanted to say because that way, um, you know, anyone can challenge it and you can say whatever you want. No, it 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 represents friends of mine that that I saw and trying to make sense out of it. Mm -hmm. I I knew that, you know, I uh, used to be a not used to be ever, but I was a fan of, of, uh, Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I used to get my hair cut right in the heart of Watts, you know, I'd say. And, uh, with these old guys that would cut hair. And I enjoyed going to the barbershop. Uh, in fact, I went to the barbershop quite frequently then, more so than I would, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just to get in an argument with these guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh they're off the south you know and and um they talk politics and everything, and so I remember one day when it was Paul Robinson's
1: birthday celebrating his
5: whatever and um and so uh I thought they would be excited about Paul Robinson, but they weren't I mean you know, they were like really conservative in their way of thinking in a sense that they were saying that 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 they looked at him as not. Like a true American,
0: mm-hmm. he was a traitor.
5: Yeah, like you know, yeah. he talked against his country right, and all this. Right. What? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And then they got into this bloody argument, you know, yeah. about uh, uh, about race, about all this stuff about South, and uh, and it, it, you know, what Paul Robinson represented to, to me and all all these young folks, you know, and uh, and and so we got to a point where. Uh, i i thought that if anyone would be for any kind of uh uh rebellion or revolution it'd be these guys right there racism expense all this sort of thing right. and no they were just the opposite and and so uh I was disappointed in that yeah. it was a, uh, but it was a learning lesson i was disappointed but anyway, so we got to the end of the argument and uh and before I sort of stormed out, you know, this guy, one of the guys, said, "I'll, I'll give you a ticket to Russia. I'll give you a ticket to Russia if you promise not to come back."
6: <laughs> My neighbors, white and black, the people who just came here are from generations back. The town hall and the soapbox, the torch of liberty, a home for all God's children. That's
0: America to me. Obviously, you know, from within the system where you've been uh, relegated to uh, tenement life, to you know, almost a bombed-out state, right—the burnt-out uh, you know, area that you lived in. There were still people who who were proud to be Americans.
5: Yes, absolutely, and I and I could reconcile this, this crazy this, mm-hmm. and 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 so, and there were some other things that 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 changed my whole. I, idea of that we, having gone to school, you, you, your whole way of thinking, the whole point of view changes. And I had to recognize that and realize that. And so, uh, I, I was always reluctant to, um, to, to say anything and and, 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 and with this commitment that this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I did, the killer sheep, I, uh, I, I didn't want to give my opinion. I wanted it to, to reflect um, that if you were in the community, this is what you would see, and it wouldn't be any comment on it or anything. It just let the images speak for themselves, mm-hmm. and all, everything in there virtually happened and just exaggerated to some extent. But mm-hmm. but it was something I, I witnessed and and things like that. And uh, for example, so uh, this um, I mean, you, you'd see all the absurd things and and, and that uh, make life difficult to try to make sense out of it. Right. I, I remember, um, like, uh,
1: these guys
5: in uh, the would, they would steal a battery, a car battery. Every day, every morning, someone would wake up, a workman or something, and try to start his car, to, and it couldn't start because the battery was taken. <laughs> and so you'd say, right. so say well, why don't you just get a battery? Well, the generator was, just kill the battery. They couldn't afford to oh, well. and all these kind of things. So this it was easier, but dangerous to get up and take someone's other, take someone's battery. Out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I used to have this old car that um, that uh, I'm trying to fix it. And you can fix those old cars then because I mean every, you know, you can identify everything in, in the car. You right. Can, sure. You can see the ground and everything below. It's very simple. And so anyway, so I used my my generator went out of my car, so I had to take it down to a generator exchange. Uh, I walked walk down there and, and, and trade it up for another generator, pay a little whatever it is, and, and trade it in. And uh, so I went to this place, and the guy said, I just uh, leave that there and go back in the back and get one of those, one, a stack of generators out there to find one that looks like yours and get it and Okay, so I go back in, and the big stack of generators about as tall as I am. I go over and pick out one that looks like it fit on my car. Take it down and uh, walk all the way back home, and then put it in. It doesn't work. <laughs> so I go all the way back down to this generator exchange and tell the guy, "Hey, this thing doesn't work." He says, "Put it on the, put it on the counter and go back in the back and <laughs> yeah,
0: try, no. try another one."
5: So I go back. The back, look through these all these generators, and I've only been gone for about an hour. And I looked there and I saw I see my old generator in the, in the stack, uh-huh. and I feel like these, these guys haven't fixed this thing, <laughs> it's, 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 just try, you know, whatever. And uh, so, this would go on and on and on if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're not careful. <laughs> so, I mean, you get this absurd kind of stuff that's happening to you all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so a lot of things like that happen. And so, uh, and, and this, some of the things in the movie reflected on, you know, why people are frustrated.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: All this kind of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think, Um, it like, how does it come about that as, as you were confronted with, um, I guess, you know, it's a, a middle class value, uh, a value um, that, you know, this is the way the world works, that we're earning our living in, in this barbershop or in, 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 and, and this is America and it gives us freedom. I can say whatever I want. You know, what, where, where is it that people are able to defend the system that has so um, meticulously kept them in place? Like, how, how do we how do we change those particular like, again, I think of your film and for me anyway, your films do this kind of work, you know, the attempt to um, not in a heavy handed way, but in an attempt to sort of uh, undermine some of the ways in which stories are told. Uh, so that you can you can get a different angle on your particular perspective, you know where you're from, where you live, how how you think about the world. Uh, to me, this is 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 a great part of what makes what makes your films worth uh, seeing again and again and again. Is because they sort of reveal these new ways to to perceive your community. Um, is this is this kind of the goal you set for yourself in some ways to you know to to help people think differently?
5: Well. Well, I, I, one of the things is, is by by seeing it for the for the first time to extent, um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of times these these little incidents, these things that people endure and, and, and experience here, they're they're not presented in film, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, and you find what, what's very if you if you're kind of like teaching film um, filmmaking storytelling. I mean, students will go toward what they see as, as film and reality from from T V or and one of the students and this applies to a lot of people. What one, one of the students uh his story is supposed to be original you sort of say, I want something original from you guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he, he tells this story that, that's that something you see on T V. Mm-hmm. And so you I, I I I wanted you to tell something that from uh, you know, from, from something personal, you know that that uh, 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 that's yours, and he he was stuck, and most of the students were like were, were pretty much the same, and and so you say I asked him I said where are you, where are you from, um, he, he just it was this white kid from Hawaii, and I said you know I, I know some people from Hawaii, and and uh, you know one of the interesting things that I I can never reconcile is that they. Always sit. You know, it's boring there. Not, not not all the white kids, but but honestly, it's boring. They wanted to come to the mainland, mm-hmm. and I said you know um, the other part is that they just they they experience they just they experience discrimination, and and so there's all these you start listing the, the things that that they have to confront. And I said that's your story there. I mean you have to, you're you're in a unique position to. to to reveal things about your community and the white population there that the people don't hear about and see you know why don't you make stories about that instead of uh, CCI or whatever it is the copying you know mm-hmm. <laughs> And and they, they don't look around and say well this is this is a story element this is what I should be doing this this I can you know I understand this I you know and I mean Hollywood is sort of Dominated. Mm-hmm. You know, how we think about moving stories in life, you know, to tell it doesn't take that form out of form. Mm. It's not a story.
0: That's our show. We'll close, obviously, with John Handy. Thanks to Charles Burnett for making great films that observe life and are critical of the stories we're told by Hollywood films, which do not reflect the realities and values of real human communities. Thanks also to Michael Martin, James Naramore, Jonathan Rosenbaum, and Jacqueline Stewart for talking with us about Charles Burnett's work and what it means to them. And special thanks to John Vickers, founding director of the Indiana University Cinema. Also remember, there's more programming like this to download and enjoy, including another full program with James Naramore on more films of Charles Burnett. Jim just published the first full-length consideration of Burnett's career to date. It's called Charles Burnett, a Cinema of Symbolic Knowledge, and published by the University of California Press. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Kate Young is executive producer. This is Bloomington, Indiana's community radio station, WFHB. Thanks for listening.